So if you are able, um, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans become nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. God is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. God remains faithful forever. God upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bound down. The Lord loves the righteous, the just. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But God frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Sorry, I didn't change the slide. When I read this psalm, I can't help but to think of so many Bible stories um, of God lifting up the lowly and liberating the oppressed. On this last Sunday of Black History Month, um, which, which we are just reminded is just American history, amen? Um, and so it's here to be celebrated all year long. Um, and on the eve of the beginning of Women's History Month, I can't help but to want to honor Hagar. In church, we often hear stories of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And seldom do we hear the stories of the matriarchs, Sarah, Hagar, Rebecca, Leah. I was a little inspired by Maggie. <laughs> Hagar was the Egyptian, the northern African slave of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Hagar literally is translated foreign thing. Now, can you imagine? So my name, Stephanie, means crown. Uh, my harabaji, my grandfather, names the children. And so my Korean name is Chonghae, which is like ringing wisdom. That's my name. So it's like, hi, what's your name? My name's Chonghae. It's ringing wisdom. Hi, what's your name? Hagar, foreign thing. Right? Can you imagine that your name, you are named foreign thing? And Abraham was promised the descendants as numerous as the stars. But Sarah and Abraham grew old and childless. And Sarah, who probably had protected Hagar from being a mistress for Abraham, then forces her to have a child with Abraham. Her body is not her own. It was not consensual. She was probably a virgin. And after she's pregnant, Sarah begins to mistreat Hagar so badly that Hagar runs away and search for her own liberation. And these strange interactions happen 
where the angel tells Hagar to go back to Sarah, which we don't have time to unpack today, um, and, and that her baby Ishmael is going to be blessed. And the angel says that God saw her misery. God saw her misery. And Hagar, this Egyptian female, abused, single mom maid, is the first person in the Bible, in the story of God, that God empowers, chooses to empower, to give God God's name. She says, you are Elroy. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. Now, the Egyptian myth was that the deity's eye was significant to creation. This African female slave who is pregnant doesn't name God based on a patriarchal dominant culture tradition. Out of this woman's alienation and her isolation bursts this liberation event to experience a God who lifts up and liberates. Amen? Creator, God, who sees not just our misery and pain, but sees that how she is created in the Imago day with great dignity and worth. Amen? Sarah is mistreated, has mistreated Hagar with fierce criticism and cut-downs, and she's competitive, and she's comparing, and she's controlling, and she's complaining about this slave of hers. Does this not sound much like our world today? Criticism, cut-downs, competing, comparing, controlling, complaining. And maybe that's out of a place of our own misery, our own disappointments, just like Sarah. Maybe it's out of our insecurity, a loss of affection. I think she was wondering about her husband, right? Maybe it's just trying to be powerful or out of a belief that maybe one group is a little bit more supreme than another. But God's kingdom, church, this is the good news, God's kingdom is based on love and not fear. God's kingdom is rather than dominion over one another, there is liberation for one another. And instead of power over, there is this mutual power that is shared and given freely. Karen Gonzalez wrote the book, The God Who Sees, and she says this, that God is present with anyone who is treated as a human resource rather than a human being. God shows up not just for the master and the mistress of the house, but in the native citizens who have rights, but also the undocumented maid in the kitchen who just doesn't bring needs for their economic opportunity, but gifts. Hagar brings her faith and her devotion, her hard work, her talent, her rich cultural uh, family traditions. And she brings a family that will grow up and integrate into the adopted country. God sees Hagar 
as a whole loved person. We see the generosity of God's mercy and justice bearing fruit of healing and joy and freedom in others as people are lifted up out of the darkest pits and liberating those who are oppressed and blind and lame and poor and hungry. People crying out for mercy. People in this room today. And instead of a world that compares, competes, controls, criticizes, what would it be like, church? Imagine with me if our world was more interested instead of, of cheering, of clapping, of celebrating. How countercultural would it be, not just as individuals, but as a church that genuinely lifted one another up? that would contemplatively see the Imago Dei, the goodness in every person, the goodness of God, that would courageously go into places that are foreign and uncomfortable to liberate others to be fully who God has called them to be. What would our world be like? It would turn it upside down, amen? Y'all know I'm Tasian. For those of y'all new, Surprise, I'm a Texas Asian, which means that in Texas, cheerleading and football is only second to Jesus, which is just by a little bit. So this was me in the third grade, fourth grade. Yes, notice the perm and the front bangs. Um, And so there's a little part of me um, that has loved watching on Netflix the docu-series Cheer. Has anyone seen that? No cheer people. To, that's okay. That's all right. I can explain it. So there's a, there's a, there's a small Texas uh, college called Navarro College, um, and they are the national cheerleading champions 14 years in a row. And they have this thing called mat talk. And when I was in drill team, I did a lot of mat talk. Um, and so when you're cheering on your team, even when you're not actually dancing or performing, um, it doesn't matter because it's about the whole team, right? It's about all of us. Um, and so you, sometimes you have to try out for every, comp- every dance and you may not make it. So you're on the sidelines and so you cheer it on. And, and, wh- and what I love is that there's this, there's this guy named Jerry who has the best mat talk ever. Jerry is a student who has been through an incredibly difficult life. Um, and even though he doesn't make the mat, he continues to constantly uplift the team, understanding that it's not just about him and whether he individually wins or gets on the mat, but it's about the collective whole, the whole body or community, so to say. So Jerry is amazing at mat talk. Um, and so what they've done is that they've taken Jerry Uh, to mat talk people on their way going into work. So I'm going to show a little video of Jerry mat talking people going into work real quick. I love your shoes. I love your hair. Your jewelry looks amazing. You are beautiful. You are fantastic. You are a star, baby. Yes. Good morning, guys. Welcome to work. Have a great day, y'all. Have a great day. Yes! Yes! Hey! Good morning! Welcome to work! Have a great day. Yes, it is! Yes! 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 Yes
about to kill it. I love the earrings. The braids are killer. You are everything. Yes, you. Yes. Have a great day. What would it be like in our world, like if we came into church, not that our greeters, I, I actually went down into the basement because we have a bunch of costumes and we have cheerleading costumes and I decided it was too itchy to wear. I was like, I'm going to preach in a cheerleading costume. And so, and Mark came home and he was like, why is there a cheerleading costume in our bedroom? I was like, well, I was going to try. And then I was like, and then I decided against, anyways. So, but I was like thinking, I was like, what would it be like if we came in and people were like, I love you, come in. You know, um, not everybody's a Jerry and that's okay. Um, but I think, I think that there's something to that. There's something about what is it like when, how do you feel when somebody is like, You've got this. I love you. You're going to do great. We got you. We are supporting you. We believe in you. What happens to you, to them, to the community when we begin to have that kind of energy um, of the Holy Spirit? Amen? Things begin to transform. I wonder what it would be like if Sarah and Abraham, Matt talked Hagar. If they threw her a baby shower if they nurtured Ishmael as their own child? What if, what if Sarah's holding Hagar's hand through labor and saying, come on, girl, I know you've been through hard things. You do hard things. You can do this. Come on, God is with you. What would that be like? What would happen if we happen to have a little bit more Jerry's in our life? What would happen to the people we're cheering on? And what would happen to us? And what would happen to our community? And then what would happen to our city? What would happen to our world? God is gracious to Sarah, and she gives birth to Isaac in her old age. When Isaac is weaned, Sarah saw Hagar mocking her, and she told Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. Doesn't even call her by name. Like, I'm like, come on, just at least call me foreign thing or something. <laughs> but no, that slave woman. And they send her off into the desert, and Hagar is so distraught that she puts her son under a bush because she can't bear to see him die. And she goes over and she begins to sob. And God hears the boy crying and comes to Hagar and says, do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying. And this is what God says to Hagar. Pay attention, church. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water and gave him a drink. We're going to come back to that later. Church, we have a good God. We have a great God. We have a God who frees us from something so that we can be free to 
do and be something. Hagar is liberated in the desert from her oppression. And she is freed up to lift up her son. God is always using the most unlikely. Amen? So I did a word study on the word freedom, thinking that there would be some major repeated words, um, as Scripture does, but I was surprised. Um, As I was reading the Old Testament, there was this wide diversity of words that are used whenever it's the word free from. And a very short list of free to. Oh, I'll I'll tell you that story another day. Okay. God frees us from blame, pain, violence, slave owners, fault, fear, sin, restriction, anguish, trap set for me, common human burdens, care, ruler of people's chains, cords of the wicked, my prison, perversity of my mouth. Punishment, my favorite, yourself. (laughs) Captivity, prison, dungeon of those who sit in darkness, the chains on your neck, oppression, captivity, slavery, chains on your wrist, people who ensure us, us like birds, enslave us. I was like, that's a typo. And prisons of waterless pits. Wow. That's from all the Old Testament. God frees us from And I only found a very few of what God frees us to in this. To give offerings freely. To freely scatter gifts to the poor. To walk about in freedom. And then we get into the Jesus parts. (laughs) And Jesus, this word freedom and free up um, is used in such a a specific way that Jesus proclaims his whole mission to be freedom for the prisoners and set the oppressors, the oppressed free. He frees a woman from her suffering who spent all of her money on medical bills for internal bleeding. And she said, and Jesus says, you are freed from your suffering two times. Jesus frees a mute man's tongue to speak so that he can praise God. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. And we see Jesus continually freeing people from legalistic, burdensome religious laws, illness, mental health, demon possession, greed, insecurities, sin, lack of faith, hunger, thirst, oppression, exclusion because of their gender, race, and class. And my favorite thing, he freed people from a good party ending because the the wine ran out. I like that one. In the epistles, uh, it's written that we are freed from sin and death over and over and over again. And then it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and live as free people that walk about in freedom that comes again. 2 Corinthians 10, 8, and 13, 10 says that Paul says to the church, God has given me authority or power for building you up 
not tearing you down. Sarah had been given power as Hagar's master. And power is never given to tear down, but to build up. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's for helpful for building others up according to their needs. And I love this, that it may benefit those who listen. It's a witness, right? And I'm not saying that we just only say positive things. <laughs> That's not always helpful. Um, our behavioral covenant talks about how constructive feedback is natural and necessary for us to grow. We all need it. Um, I need it. But we need to be self-reflectively honest when we're offering constructive feedback. Is it to build a person or the church up? Or is it destructive comments to or about a person that tears down the church? Culturally, many Asian parents boast of their kids a lot behind their back to other people, <laughs> not to the kids. <laughs> Some of us um, need to maybe practice doing that encouragement directly to a person. Um, and some of us may do it to a person, but might also need to do it behind the back. How do we begin as a church, begin to create a culture that loves and uplifts and bears fruit of liberation? There have been so many times in my life where pastors and mentors and sisters and brothers in the church have built me up. Um, at times when I was so low and I just didn't believe that I could continue to go on. Um, I remember, and I've shared this story before, um, when I was a missionary overseas and I came back, and that last year, every two months, someone died. So I had six people close to me die that year, and I fell into a pit of depression and grief. And I never, um, I never thought that I, I could come out of that. Um, and God lifted me up. My, my community came alongside and lifted me up out of the pit. And I remember being in a church that I dearly, dearly loved, um, a, a church of 4,000, um, and out of that 4,000 people church, only two women had ever gone to seminary. Um, and so for me, I never thought that as a woman um, that I could, pastoring would be for me. Um, and, and it took uh, going on this trip to Boston um, just because I thought it would be fun to sit in seminary classes and they would pay for the room and board. <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Um, and, and the director of admissions um, continued to encourage me. He would call me at my work uh, every month and say, you're the one that got away. Come on, Stephanie, I see this gift. I see this calling in your life. And I didn't believe in myself, but sometimes it takes the community of believers to call out the image of God, the gifting, the calling within one another, to build one another up, to lift one another up, so we can be free from all the lies and the enslavement that happens within ourselves and from our society, so we can freely go and be the people that God has called us to be. Amen? It's why every time we end a benediction here at West Hills with you are loved. Um, as, a, as a prophetic word over you to remind you, um, to encourage you, that no matter where you are, and, and as many times you may have not even heard this, that every time you come here, that you'll hear you are loved. Church is not always perfect. We ain't always going to be Jerry. 
Jerry ain't perfect either. But today I want to I continue to state in the encouragement piece. Um, but I don't want to um, have you guys think that I'm too Pollyanna-ish. Polly, you know what I mean. Um, I am encouraged by West Hills. Um, your faith to cling to Jesus in some of the hardest and most discouraging times. You guys encouraged each other to love one another, even when there's disagreement. You continue to choose mercy over judgment. You assume the best even when you don't even understand. You show compassion when somebody's in need and struggle. You continue to pray for one another, to visit one another, to send flowers and food and letters and phone calls and text messages. This is a church that encourages. I am always most encouraged when I hear of God's transforming work. To hear that when a liberating light bulb goes off to free someone who's been enslaved in a pattern of thinking or behaving that sets them free to live and love better. I am encouraged when I hear when people of color in our church say, I finally am beginning to feel like I belong here and that I'm seen. I am encouraged by the work that God is doing here. So why should we do this? One, it's just healthy. So think about it. We are the body of Christ. If one hurts, we all hurt. If one of us is rejoicing, we all rejoice. Why would you tear apart a part of your own body? Can you imagine that? Um, can we see that we all need all parts to function? And the scripture says that the ones that are least honored, those are the ones we need to treat with even more. Um, in being able to do this, we are all strengthened. Two, it pleases God. Y'all, we have been waiting for this season. Elliot and Noah can play together. <laughs> it's amazing. Noah was like, oh, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And then there is no greater joy when Mark and I are in the other room and we're like, oh, come here, come here, it's happening. And you go over and they're like laughing and giggling and getting along. There's no greater joy for a parent when the kids are getting along and playing well. There is no greater heartache when you hear your kids fighting and being mean to each other and rude and you think, Oh, a part of your heart just falls in pieces. I think God is the same way with us, church. I think there is no greater joy for God when he sees his children getting along, loving each other, lifting one another up. First Timothy says, I want to see people everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without arguing and disputing. We encourage because it protects our hearts. Hebrews 3 says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Woo! The encouragement to encourage others helps protect our hearts from being hardened by sin's lies. We need it. And four, science. Just encourage just for plain science. 
In the book Social Intelligence, The New Science of Human Relationships, it explores that the heightened prefrontal activity in your brain associated with encouragement and positive emotions enhances your mental abilities to creatively think better, to have more cognitive flexibility, and to process information. And it actually says that when you're feeling encouraged, get this, we're more likely to have an inclusive focus than a self-centered outlook. Negativity increases stress, fear, anxiety, depression, and low work performance. And the last is witness. I love that Jesus' farewell speech, the last thing he says to disciples, is that the world will know that you belong to Jesus by how you love one another. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another even more as you see the day approaching. In this study, um, in this one article, they did a study with 700 companies. 700 companies were interviewed, and the majority of employees said that they would rather have a caring boss than earn more money. That the actual ability to love and to encourage and to lift up was more important than money. Encouragement is a spiritual practice, it is a discipline, and it is counter-cultural shift. So what will this look like individually and systemically? Two words in scripture, to lift up and to speak up. So lifting up those who are down and hurting, um, taking the things that seem so depressed, so dead, and listening to the voice of God that is lifting you up and this person up. I love the story of Jesus, where Jesus heals this deaf, mute boy that has an impure spirit. It was so impure that it would throw him into the ground, into convulsions, and he would foam at the mouth. And Jesus commands this deaf, mute boy, the spirit, to come out and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieks, and the boy looks as dead as a corpse. And here we come back to Hagar. And this is what the scripture says. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up the exact same language of Hagar with her little boy, Jesus also with another little boy who's distraught and disfavored and suffering. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. The second is to speak up, to speak up against Injustice. Proverbs 31 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Jesus is Jerry, cheering for people in the margins. When an oppressed people are lifted up, do we, like Sarah, begin to compete, complain, criticize, control, or cut them down? Or do we clap 
Do we cheer? Do we celebrate? Do we see them as God does? Church, this is what this clapping, cheering, encouraging culture looks like. So who watched the Oscars or knows of the Oscars? Okay. <laughs> Y'all know in the Oscars, they got like a really limited uh, acceptance speech time. And the first time in 92 years, a non-English film won Best Motion Picture. Okay, from South Korea. So, there you go. The movie was Parasite, and because the translator was interpreting, it literally cuts down their acceptance speech time in half. It is a tangible image of inequity. Renelle Zingweger, Zellweger just won Best Actress right before they called Motion Parasite up to the stage. She talked for four minutes. One minute into the acceptance speech of Parasite, one minute into it, the lights begin to darken over the Korean cast. Let's watch a little video and see what happens next. And the Oscar goes to... Oh, can you forward it to two minutes? So sorry. Parasite. Oh. Oh, little back, back. Two minutes. Two minutes. At two minutes. Keep going. Stop. I think that's good I enough. I express my deepest gratitude and respect for all the members of the Academy for making this decision. Thank you. Okay, you can turn it off. Here we are in the front row. Tom Hanks, one of the most popular, powerful people in Hollywood, uses literally his position in the front row to turn the lights back up, to empower an immigrant community to have more voice. He sees their worth and their value artistically, individually, creatively, and that it will bless the whole world. Up, up, up. That is who God is calling our church to be. The people who, whatever agency, whatever position, wherever we're at, whether you're a Hagar or you're a Sarah or you're an Abraham or you're an Ishmael or you're an Isaac, it doesn't matter. We should be the people speaking up, 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 up. Bring the lights up on those who the world is turning the lights down dark. Amen? 
that is who we are and who God is calling us to become. So real quick, I'm going to wrap us up. How do we even begin? For some of us, we feel like the little boy. We just need to cry out. We just need to say, somebody, God, I need a savior. I need someone to deliver me from my suffering. I encourage you that God sees you. God is the God who sees you. And we want to see you too. Have the courage to maybe come alongside and share your suffering with somebody you trust here. We start with humility. We start by spending time with God and scripture, with reading the scripture again with God's eyes to see the Hagar's to see a God who lifts up and liberates, to remind ourselves of our own Hagar moments. We know in scripture that the word lift up is that God always lifts up the humble. So let us humble ourselves this Ash Wednesday. Let's humble ourselves this Lent to come before a God once again, asking to be lifted up. The second is empathetic uh, empathic mutuality. God is God, and I am not. God is God, and I am not. It's like something I have to repeat to myself. God needs to save us from our saviorism. I need to be careful when we talk about lifting others up and liberating to know that we are not the saviors. Amen? The reality is that we need people in the margins to lift up and liberate us mutually. We don't go necessarily to the margins to save people, but rather also to be saved because Jesus is always close to the brokenhearted. We are a, we are a community that is intergenerational, which means that we don't dismiss our elders and we don't look down on our youngers, amen? We don't use language of, oh, you're so young, or oh, you're so old. We don't do that. We see the dignity and the mutual gifting of every person in our community. We are multi-ethnic. We are, we are gendered diversity. That came out weird. Um, socioeconomic, our marital status, single, divorced, widowed, single parent, all people are welcomed and have dignity and worth and value. And we don't isolate, but we rather integrate. Last is sometimes it's just like a Nike swish. Just do it. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Um, put faith into action. Here, if you sometimes, you ever do this? This happens to me a lot. Like I start thinking about someone. I'm like, oh, I wonder how that person's doing. Um, Maybe that's a prompting to say, give them a call, email them, text them, check in, see how they're doing. How can I pray for you? Reach out, check in on one another, pastor one another, um, love one another. And 
And you never actually know what somebody's going through, why they haven't been around. It's, it's not always the worst um, scenario. It's maybe they're, they're suffering. Maybe they need some encouragement. Um, and then last is as we're doing this inwardly as a church, we're also doing it externally in the community. Uh, Brian Stevenson says that in order to do justice, we need proximity to suffering. Um, and so I have an opportunity, um, as I talked, as I preached a few Sundays ago, um, about the guys at Stateville. Um, as promised, we ordered their uh, devotional, A Week in Prayer, uh, where the guys who are part of the seminary program at North Park um, in Stateville Correctional Center uh, wrote these beautiful devotionals. Um, and so I have them over on the table for you guys to take for this week as you begin Lent um, to read um, about their stories, to allow them to pastor you, to learn from them. Um, and then I have another opportunity for us. Um, they have given us all of their addresses. Um, and so I have flyers there that if you want to start um, writing letters and building a relationship, a mutual relationship um, with some of these guys in Stateville, um, I have all their names and all their addresses um, and, and some instructions um, to help you begin to do that. Knowing that that lifting up and that cheering on and that mute encouragement is going to be mutual. Um, just because we're on the outside doesn't mean that we're more important. Um, the guys on the inside are some of the best theologians I've met. They have much to encourage and teach us about faith in God's word. Church, I love you guys. <laughs> and I love what God's doing here. Um, and I pray that we continue to lift each other up both inside this church and that it would explode and overflow outside into our community, individually, systemically, holistically, that it would set the captives free, even the captives in this room. And I'll end with this in Colossians. This is my prayer, that my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Jesus Christ. May this be the blessing back onto you as you reach out and love and lift up, as God does the work in you, to you, and through you. May it come back to you as well. Let's invite the worship team, let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your great love. God, um, we pray specifically for those who are in a Hagar moment that need lifting up and encouragement. God, may we have this eyes of the God who sees to see those who are holding back their tears who are maybe crying so much that they can't even make it to church. May we reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus, lifting them up, encouraging them, reminding them that they are seen and loved. May you be God. May you be the one 
who is greatly lifted up. May you be the one through all of this, be exalted and lifted high. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.